Tweet at SFM Radio and at John Gerica. Okay, let's talk serious sports stuff with Professor Peter Kruger, Director of the Center for Health and Human Performance at the Northwest University. Prof, I was saying earlier on, that is one of the coolest titles in the world. <laughs> health, and human, health and Human Performance. Yes, it's a, a wide range that we cover, but definitely an interesting job with um, not a lot of... Um, downtime or a lot of boredom involved what's it like in the northwest province we always think of ticks and the high performance center what's happening in the northwest i think for a long time we've been making our way towards becoming one of the the bigger sporting makers um in the northwest well the northern part of the country for that matter and just as an interesting um stat for you that on average uh, during a normal season i'm talking about uh, pre-covid we have uh, at any given time anything between 300 and 700 international athletes sure. training at a high performance center so uh, we're definitely on the international map because of altitude and facilities mm. but um yeah definitely i think the the idea is to become the next go-to center in the country this is a potchestrom right absolutely yes. okay it- yeah, and, and I guess you've got cleaner air out there, which which must help. You don't you don't have the traffic of Pretoria to have to contend with? Absolutely. So it's still nice, a small town feel, mm. yet we're close enough to, to Joburg that the airport is easy access. Uh, but we've got everything else in terms of all the great facilities elite athletes might need. Tell me more about what you do, though, Professor. Obviously, you're involved in the lecturing. You're, you're creating young new minds and you're working with the athletes. How does that, all of that work? Yeah, we're slightly unique set up at the university. So although we all are all academic appointments, we only have limited um, teaching responsibility. So we are, in fact, a um, service delivery entity. Right. So very much we, we combine at the Center for Health and Human Performance three previous institutes at the university. So we are the, the Center for Psychology, or the Institute for Psychology and Wellbeing, the Institute of Biokinetics, and then the previous Institute of Sports Science and Development. Mm-hmm. So we've all combined into one bigger center where we can cover the entire range of health and human performance, and hence, obviously, the, the new name. Okay, and now the, the big news is that you're doing special things, uh, the mental well-being for our, uh, our Olympians that are going off to Tokyo. Yes, so we've got a long track record working with international athletes, but more recently then we've joined forces with SASCOP to um, become a one-stop shop for them where we can cover everything from sports psychology to sports science to sports medicine. And um, it was great for us to sign a uh, service level agreement with them to be able to um, initially only provide all the the build-up psych services, but the idea would be for them, as soon as we get clarity on exactly what the way would look forward regarding the Olympics, mm. to have their training camps over here as well, uh, which they can use our lovely facilities, um, obviously for training, but also for assessments and other um, more specialist interventions that they might be looking for. Let's talk about this mental side, because it's, it's a very special time that we're living in now. I imagine any athlete mm-hmm. must be so nervous going to the Olympic Games, but how... Are, are the athletes managing to cope with all of these other things that are thrown at them? It, it's actually a sad situation if you take a look at where we are globally because for most of these guys, they, they at least they're, it's not in their entire life. The last four years has been mm. absolutely dedicated to getting them in the best possible shape to peak at the right time. So we had the first disappointment last year where suddenly your entire program, uh, training program needs to adjust. Uh, now you have to adjust your mindset uh, for some people who were kind of thinking that this might be their last big tournament, now you have to extend it by another year. And this is excluding all the pressure of the Games itself. 
So we're just talking about a, a minefield at the moment of potential challenges uh, mentally, but also then obviously the pressure of still not exactly knowing how things will work, um, practically what it's going to look like, and all along mm. you still need to be at your best by the time the opportunity <laughs> comes. So we've been trying to support them uh, just generally broader firstly to to, to just give them a, a bit of skills and, and techniques to say, okay, how do you manage with the uncertainty first? And then we'll systematically start taking it closer to the performance side of things. Uh, Prof, somebody sitting at home right now going, Psh, these are athletes. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a breadwinner too. I also have these same kind of stresses. What you're doing with these athletes, will this trickle down and be able to help average Joe who's also struggling with what's happening? Absolutely. No, just for the sake of interest, uh, during the COVID since March of last year, we've run more than 450 workshops, close to 12,000 people in 17 countries. And the most fascinating thing we've seen is it doesn't matter which country, geographical area, uh, organization you work for, we are all human beings. So this is all about the neuroscience and the psychology behind what makes people tick, how we deal with uncertainty. Mm-hmm. So although for the sports guys, we've adjusted it very specifically with the flavor um, to prepare them for the performance side of things. You're absolutely right with your question. And this is something that will have an impact on anybody, uh, regardless of where you find yourself in the world. I guess what helps with athletes is you're working with, with, with great specimens, but you also have a date. So you know that athlete X at 2 p.m. on a Tuesday is going to be doing their sport. So you've got a target to aim for. Definitely. So when we get to the more specific things, performance related, those things will come into play. But the fascinating thing about the human brain, if I can take 30 seconds just to say this, is that um, our minds absolutely hate uncertainty. So we've been neurologically programmed to try and get rid of uncertainty. But what happens when your brain picks it up? It actually activates a part in your brain called the dorsal anterior cingulate cortex, which is your brain's alarm system. Mm -hmm. And this relays it to your emotional center. And suddenly the anxiety kicks off. So it sits in your limbic system in the emotional center. So your, your body releases a chemical called cortisol. But what it also does is it activates another part in your brain called the insula, which is almost like the brain's predictor. It tries to predict what's going to happen next for you to deal with things better. But under pressure and uncertainty, most of the time, the predictions become quite negative. So it's catastrophizing. You're thinking about all the negative what-ifs, meaning then you have uncertainty again. So we can easily get caught up in this loop where you never get yourself out of the cycle of anxiety and worry and uncertainty. And from a performance perspective, biochemically, once that those chemicals are being pumped into your system, you find yourself actually struggling from a a musculoskeletal perspective even, Mm. not only psychologically. So it goes much deeper and further and wider than just kind of dealing with how do I prepare for my event. It's it's the whole build-up, it's everything else, just to make sure all the small pieces fall into place at the right time. I I know it's a sports show, Prof, but I I want to include the general public in this one as well, not just the the, the athletes, because that's... That's the not being able to sleep thing. If there's, if you, know, you don't know what your job future is, you don't know where the next paycheck is coming from, that's, that's what you're talking about as well. Absolutely. So that chemical I've just mentioned, mm. cortisol, that's one of the main things that will keep us from sleeping because the, the whole idea of that is that's the fight or flight um, hormone. So it keeps you awake and alert because the body thinks it's doing you a favor. Sure. But in fact, obviously, <laughs> it's going to mess with everything. Yeah. And it's, it's not quite as conducive as the body thinks it would be. Okay, so... How, how do you change it? So what we try and show them is that the thinking part of your brain, it's called the prefrontal cortex, is this little part of your brain situated behind your skull above your eyes. 
this is where that voice in your head sits. So the, the running commentary in every waking moment of the day. That's thinking of every bad scenario that could happen. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So we, we try and make them aware of that, but also say there, there are two sets of skills you can use. You can either try and change the content of that voice, so almost become aware of this and, and have a bit of a structured process of changing the thinking, or the other thing is sometimes just to disengage from thinking so much. So skills like... Um, Typical disengagement strategies will go into things like mindfulness, and we teach them a few very specific skills and techniques. Um, I mean, some of these things we've been using with sports people over the last 10, 15 years at least on our side. Mm. And we know either from Rugby World Cups into Olympics, into Premiership football we're involved in, and currently in Formula One motor racing, uh, it doesn't matter who you are. Once you manage to get these skills right, it, it serves you really well, regardless of where you try to apply your trade. My guest is Professor Peter Kruger, Director of the Centre for Health and Human Performance at the Northwest University. We've got plenty more to talk about. You are listening to Sport Tracks on SAFM. Okay, Prof, so you signed this deal with Saskoc now and you're hoping that everybody will go there. Do, do the athletes have to take part in the system? What, what's, what's the process going to be? Yeah, so we've started with the first few uh, workshops already. So we run it in the form of a short webinar. So we have a 90-minute slot, and we've given them a range of options. So over the next two months, um, because we know everybody's still working on their own schedule, mm. and until Team SA has been announced, we still actually need to work via SASCOC through the federations. It's quite a logistical challenge, um, but we thought, so let's make a range of, of times available, and then these guys can have a look at what works with their um, training schedules and we try and get as many of them in as we can so I think once the, everybody knows who's been selected as well we'll start seeing the pace pick up um, because I think everybody's so in a state of uncertainty at the mm. moment that uh, they're just focusing on the basics but we've had a few people through the process already so systematically they're beginning to um, get a feel for what this is about but I think once we actually get the, the detail of exactly how the games will work what the logistics would look like, and then the announcement of Team SA, um, these things will start picking up quite significantly. Have you seen a change in a person from from when they were worried and, and going through all, and then after the process that you do? Yeah, we keep quite good outcome data on this. So we measure things from mental health to performance-specific aspects. And I must say, most of the time, this is not a foolproof plan, so I'm under no illusion thinking we found the, the magic bullet here, but I think most athletes or people for that matter will describe at least a form of improvement so it depends on circumstances and there are quite a few variables involved but i think once people understand the working of the mind it becomes less of an enigma and, mm. and you feel a little bit more in control so that this might vary still sometimes you're going to be better and sometimes you might struggle but um, as long as you know when you go into a bit of a patch where you struggle what are the things you can do to get yourself out of there uh, prof i don't know if you've heard this but the brain named itself and it's now and it's now surprised by the fact that it named itself. Yeah, well, that's a great point. I haven't thought of it like that before, but definitely a great point to make. Okay, so a whole lot of athletes are going to come through. How long is this process going to be? Are you going to go right up until they get on the plane and go and compete? Very much so. And even if anybody on the other side, once they actually depart from Tokyo, oh, wow. okay. might need some support. Luckily, with technology nowadays, anything is possible. So we can definitely be on standby to support people if there are any challenges on that front we always hear about sports psychologists it's one of those things physios and sports psychologists are the two things that that create great average joe that wants to create great in their job but they want to be a good architect they want to be a good builder whatever it might be mm -hmm. how do they go about being able to take advantage of this 
You see, two things just for the sake of interest. There's no such thing as a registered category in South Africa for sports psychology. So most of us either go the clinical or counseling psychology route and then specialize in sport. So places like the UK, the US, Australia are pretty good at these specific categories. So in a way, it's not bad because it means we have the added benefit from a clinical psychology perspective to understand the the deeper workings of the Mm. human mind. Now, um, the application of this to people in general is that most of the time, and you, you'll know from your profession as well and people you've worked with, is skill will get you there, but skill won't necessarily keep you there. Because once you find yourself in the hot seat, the pressure just becomes more and more. So our process is not about teaching people how to suck eggs and how to actually do their job. It's to say, how do you cut out the white noise and, and stay on the, on the task at hand by the time you actually need to do your job? Because for most people, it's not a lack of skill or ability by the time you reach the top level. It's on the day or due to the circumstances or the magnitude of the uh, particular competition you find yourself in or job you find yourself in, Mm. that will get to you. So our job is to teach them what the mind will do to you under pressure and give them the skill set to say, okay, when this happens, what do you do to get yourself out of it? Okay, I just want to ask you a quick personal question. So mm. I'm lying in bed and I'm nervous about something that's going to happen tomorrow. Uh, you said the one thing is disengage. I've always said you can't change. You know, you, you're lying in bed, you can't change anything. So, <laughs> so stop, stop talking to me, brain. Is that, the, is that what you mean by disengaging? No, because it's a little bit like if you tell yourself to concentrate, <laughs> per definition, you're not concentrating. It's the same thing if you tell yourself not to think. Don't think you're busy thinking. Yeah. So what we actually would do is is show people a range of skills. Now, the, the part of your brain, the thinking bit again, it can only hold seven blocks of information, give or take with a standard deviation of, of two blocks. So sure. what I mean by this, if I ask you to recite a phone number to me, you might go 79 Seven three five nine. Now it might be eight or nine digits, but it's three blocks of information. Okay. So up to seven blocks is the maximum. So what we teach people will be one of the basic skills we show them would say, okay, try and activate your senses. Have a look at the room around you. What do you see? Look at the detail, the colors, the textures. Then try and add sound. Is there anything you can hear? It might be some night noises if you're in bed, or it might be a clock ticking. Then try and add the, the tactile sensation. So as you are lying, can you feel the bed pressing up against you? So we try and ground people in the moment. Take, almost flood your senses with um, everything that you find around you because that's the exact same part of your brain where worrying thoughts would sit. Now, I do this with uh, the Premiership footballers. I'm working with a couple of guys from, from Chelsea at the moment. Uh, we work in Formula One with McLaren. We, we're doing it with them. So that ability to absorb yourself in the moment, but it's the same skill set, you lying in bed 3 o'clock in the morning mm. and you worry about a, a particular job aspect uh, coming up tomorrow. The same sort of skill set, if you apply something like this, it helps you to actually just in the moment disengage without you having to try, yourself, uh, try and tell yourself not to think. Prof, it's been great chatting to you. I think I just got a million rands worth of personal <laughs> advice there. Thank you very much for sharing. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Professor Peter Kruger, Director of the Center for Health and Human Performances at the Northwest University.